Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, the podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and joining me today is David Rausch, organizer of Beta City YAG, a civic technology meetup that brings people together to address problems with the power of data. Welcome. Hello. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, the new venture that MacMail and I have started to commission curiosity-driven stories about the city powered by the community. And you'll hear more about that later in the show. All right, David. So how do you describe Beta City Yeg? Well, you described it right there. Although I always find that like this term civic technology is incredibly vague and, and kind of, you know, maybe a little alarming to people. Um, but it's the idea, you know, that we have this monthly meetup at Startup Edmonton, um, which is a great space, really generous, letting all sorts of different tech meetups meet there. Um, and so it brings together, as you said, you know, these government workers and citizens and these entrepreneur types. And it allows us to do, you know, like sometimes it's stats analysis. Sometimes it's op- working with open data. Sometimes it's working with like tiny computers, uh, so you can make sensors around. Um, and sometimes it's really just to have baked goods. Uh, right. we, we always have <laughs> we always have baked goods every month now. Um, we've been we've been going through the whole baked good scene in Edmonton. Excellent. <laughs> Got to give them an incentive to come, right? Right. Um, so where did the idea come from to start it? So uh, there's a group out of the states, and I'm from the states, uh, but it's kind of taking. You know, a, a lot of it's making a lot of steam right now all around the world. There's a group called Code for America, and they, they kind of call it Greenpeace for nerds or stats geeks. And it, it's the same idea. So, in like 140, probably almost 150 now cities around the world, there are these informal volunteer networks that meet, you know, once a month in some big cities like Chicago and Toronto. They meet once a week. And they kind of, it, that, in the states, you know, they have this like code for America, or they call it like hack for Philly, or you know, hacking is kind of this. It has a negative mm-hmm. feel to us uh, as the general public. You hear about like hackers for computer, you know, getting everybody's social insurance numbers or something. Yeah. But uh, hacking can be something good, and and in this case, it's doing something really easy, like that maybe used to be hard, and having a really clever way to approach it and make it a lot easier. And, and like that's really the essence of things. Um, there's this really great community that's evolved around this civic technology work and it's it's really all based on this idea of an open source code and um, so when you do your work sometimes you're working on you know like a mac and it's all closed and it's it's not very easy for programmers to do a lot of work um, to make things better if they're in a closed system whereas places like google and some other systems they're open source so you can see exactly how they made it copy and paste it and and change you know a name and you can get something that took years to develop hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of research and because they want to make their product better and they want to make things you know more available for people that are making people's lives better it can be done in a weekend and right. and we've done quite a few projects like that yeah so uh, tell us about some of the projects that you guys have done yeah I, I always find you know like the, these sound kind of esoteric like these ideas but um one of the things that's really important is, you know, we, we have these meetups and, you know, have presentations, but then we undertake projects um, that are funded by a couple of sponsors, the yeah, Alberta Real Estate Foundation or NextGen. And so as an example, one of them, um, I was on the End Poverty Edmonton Task Force and the Information Research uh, Roundtable. And one of the things they said was like, you know, 
one of the, the best ways to get somebody out of poverty is just, you don't have to create anything new. They just have to utilize the programs that are available right now. Like if everybody just was efficient and used all of the programs that were available, it would like, there was this beautiful study called Families First and they, they said like that was the one statistically significant attribute that they could find of somebody who was not in poverty or who was in poverty and how they got out was did they use the programs available to them. So you could, you know, spend a year and tens of thousands of dollars developing some sort of a tool that would allow you to like all of the immediate need services, food, shelter, clothing, um, medical treatment, you know, you could, it, it would take a lot of money. Government usually does just that. Yeah. A lot of money, a lot of, you know, project management. But uh, because of this open source community, there was this tool called Link SF out of San Francisco. And it's, it's this beautiful web app. It works on a uh, flip phone. And a web app is not like a re- regular app. You don't have to download it. You can just click it. It asks for your location. And you, you click like food. And it will say all of the food, you know, for, for people who are in poverty or who are in need of food. Uh, you click each one of the different things, and it has a little Google map that routes you, and it, it prioritizes by what's closest to you, you know, in the list. And then it has a little walking map, you know, for you to do, and it does this automatically. It works on really bad Wi-Fi, and it's funny, you know, you you make this tool. Uh, so so we redeployed it called Link Yeg, right? And you make it, and and people uh, on the first flush, they're like. You're making like a web app for people who are poor. They don't have a computer. They don't have a cell phone. But like the stats in Alberta are actually such that like 90% of households have at least a cell phone. Um, Only about 60% have a smartphone. So if you had an app, you're missing 40% of the population. And that is almost always going to be exactly the same population that you probably want to connect with, um, especially around a poverty tool. So if it works on a smartphone and it works on computers, you've, you've just expanded the range. So... Uh, so we have linkyeg.ca, and we worked with the Canadian Mental Health Association, and, and they're stewarding this now. We, uh, a gentleman named Eugene Chen uh, redeployed it. He's amazing. Yes. Um, you'll, you'll probably hear his name a couple of times with different projects. He redeployed it at a hackathon here that was hosted at the Makerspace a couple of years ago. Took him an afternoon, and when we talked with the original company that made this, it was... It took them about a year to develop, about $30,000 worth of developer time. They user tested it. They're, you know, a Silicon Valley-based or San Francisco-based firm. Mm-hmm. And we redeployed it for free and nice. even added some some new things to it that are really making the functionality better. And other people are going to start probably using some of our code as well. So we've contributed as well as benefited from it. That's awesome. Were you surprised when you moved to Edmonton at the state of the open data community? Yeah, Edmonton, um, it's exciting. You know, I, I'm here from the Chicago area, and I, you know, kind of had a choice where to move with my partner. Um, and, you know, she, she got into uh, grad school in, you know, Toronto and Vancouver and a couple places in the States. But, like, we, we chose Edmonton because it seemed like a really, like, scrappy, can-do city. And, like, those are our favorite. Um, and... So when I moved here, the, they had an open data catalog that was already pretty robust. Um, so like a big commitment to it, uh, you know, and for a small-ish or mid-sized city, that's pretty unusual. They have a, almost a thousand data sets in there now, which is, you know, they, they just won a major award for it. So uh, it's, it's exciting, you know, to come here. And, and before Beta City Yeg, we, we would have these hackathons. And I love hackathons because they're these big rushes of activity. There are 60 people who show up and they meet with a few city employees and, and they you know, craft something, what can you do in eight hours? 
but I, I also find that can be frustrating um, because you you do something in eight hours. It's never finished. It's never polished. It's never really that innovative because what can you do in eight yeah. hours? Even yeah. those tech enabled people. And then afterward, there's no like support network. And, and so you make these things and it's a lot of work. You don't get paid and then nothing really comes of it. So Beta City Egg has this, uh, you know, it's just borrowing from the state. So it's not super original, but it, it, ma- it just makes sense. You have a support network that meets every month. And so a lot of the projects that came out of the last two hackathons have been moved forward into production, working with the city. A lot of our solutions end up into city or nonprofit work, you know, just because they do have the support network. And if somebody leaves, you know, for Silicon Valley or gets extradited to Brazil, somebody else can pick up the open source code. <laughs> that, that, act, that one oh, happened, no. unfortunately. <laughs> um, and, and then support, you know, the, the tool so that it can be useful. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think? How do you think the average citizen views open data? Do you think that there's some myth busting that needs to be done around that? Open data is really complicated. It's going through this really like soul search moment right now because you know it takes a lot of work. Um, I, I work for the city near the open data team. All of this is my volunteer non-city work. Right. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but one of the things that all you know places are doing is this in soul searching is like. We, it needs to be return on investment. It needs to be a quality, you know, data set that can make people's lives better. Um, like there's there's a component of like transparency, and that's so huge, and an engagement. And so, the, one of the biggest things that people you know have against open data right now is that it's a very small part of the population who can do anything with it. Yeah. Like I have you know a background in st- statistical analysis and geospatial, and even I sometimes have a really hard time you know making something truly useful out of it um, that makes people's lives better. So, what what Beta City Egg hopes to do, and and what I think the city of Edmonton is really doing very strongly right now, is trying to get people to use open data, like the one percent who can use the open data, to make it even more transparent um, and to make it more useful and interesting to people. So like it's funny you have like government and then you have like the civic tech enthusiasts and then the rest of the population and journalists are in that middle step Mm -hmm. too and open data itself isn't necessarily inherently interesting or useful to most people but you know the citizens and the journalists definitely know how to to make it tell a story and make people's lives better and you know keep people accountable so in that vein would you like more journalists and regular citizens to come to the meetup and and interact with the guys that know how to move the pixels around or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of why I'm meeting here um, because Beta City Egg has like a funny dynamic. Um, we really are about like one third, one quarter government employees, one third uh, real, you know, hard coder techies, and then one third citizens maybe. Um, although actually the citizen part is really much smaller. And and at one point, like when I was trying to like figure out like, you know, it's a, I'm in the startup community here. So one thing they're like, what's, what's your value proposition? And like th- my value proposition with this group is like, granted, we make products for the public, but the people who make the products are the programmers. And that's only one third of the people who show up. So I tend to really focus on like the programming side of things. And we, we have some uh, just amazingly brilliant people, Eugene being one of them. And they present on all of these different ways to like, you know, boost your tech skills. And, and that's how we bring them in along with the baked goods from yeah. like the Duchess or <laughs> Bonton or something like that. Um, and so I've been focusing on that for like last six or eight months, like really boosting the programmers who show up because mm-hmm. they're the ones who provide, you know, the value. And it's funny, like you could have one person, you know, who has five good ideas and that would 
you, you can't have much more than like five or ten projects at any given time in our community for volunteer programming stuff. But um, so so I've been kind of supplying some of these ideas. Uh, you know, a couple of counselors have supplied some ideas. And so now I think we're getting to the point where we are robust enough where we could have citizens show up, say, we need this tool. We need something. I've seen this somewhere else. It would be amazing if we did this. Pitch it at the group, which meets at the fourth Wednesday. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the logistics yeah, yeah. at Startup. Um, because I, I I have an idea of what I'd like to see, and, and so do counselors, but we do want people and nonprofits there because we've already developed all of these really beautiful tools that are like... When you develop something like an SMS-based voting tool, something like American Idol that you can like spray paint on the ground uh, in front of you know a bus stop, what color would you like this bus stop painted? Right. Or you know would you like something? You know anything? Um, when you develop a tool like that, it's it's beautiful because it's not like you know burning you know a bonfire. Once you've burned the bonfire, it's gone. You have to get new tools, uh, new wood. With an SMS tool, he's already done the work. It, it costs point zero two cents per text. Anyone in the city could use this, really. Um, right. and, and it honestly is. like A tool like that is available to anybody to really engage with people. Again, in the example of SMS, um, it is still 90%, over 90% of you know households have a flip phone, mm-hmm. but only 60 or so percent have either a smartphone or a home computer. So like, you're never going to engage with people if you have to do it on SurveyMonkey or you do it you know, through any of those you know, really kind of tech-enabled things. With SMS, like, you could engage the part of the population that really is the hardest to connect with. Yeah, yeah. So we're really democratizing this far beyond what it, conventional wisdom often leads us to. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, so what what can people do to help you? They can come to the meetup, right? Yeah, they can come to the meetup. Um, well, the, the website is uh, useful. Uh, I, I want it to be really functional, so it's betacity.ca. And it's just an example. We have like maybe 20 or so projects up there. Um, each one's a different picture, and you click it, and it explains kind of what we're doing. And some of them require volunteer work. Um, like one of them was really great. We uh, were working with the city archives, the historic archives. We asked them, hey, you have all of these amazing photos, like 6,000 photos. Uh, we'd love to make a map out of those um, because they're not mapped, actually. None of them are. And sometimes they do that. There's like uh, some some beautiful projects from around the world where they're like, making that really like maps really make things really interactive mm-hmm. and people engage with them. So we're like, Hey, can, can you give us all of your photos? Um, and they're like, yeah, I don't even know really how that works. You know, you, if you could probably copy and paste it faster than, then we could, you know, go through the bureaucracy of, of getting you access. Right. But we have some really crafty hackers and <laughs> one of the things you can do is it's called scraping and it sounds negative, but it's not. Um, and you, you basically automate a copy and paste, and you go from website to website in a very orderly fashion. You can do it to, to crash a website. That's what some people do. Or you can just do it, copy and paste all of the photos, and make your own database. Nice. And so I got permission to do that. Sometimes you have to ask. Sometimes you don't. And so we have our own database. Uh, Connor Morside is a tech volunteer. who's amazing. Created a front end um, where you basically click a point on a map. Well, actually, you look at the photo. And it has a description. And we only took the photos that had either street or avenue in a, the description or title. And you you know, click a point on a map, and it gives you the latitude, longitude. You click Save. And now that photo and all the relevant information is geocoded nice. um, or geotagged. And 
So we, we did about 250 of those. We had volunteers. You know, it's not you don't have to be super tech. You really have to just know how to copy and paste or click. Um, and we did it at the last hackathon, and we mapped about 250 photos. You know, that's about a tenth of what we have. You know, mm-hmm. that has avenue or street. So. We, we do little things uh, like micro meetups or um, hackathons where we go to the startup Edmonton space. We bring some you know, pizza and then we get maybe 10 people there. They all bring their laptops and they do that for three or four hours on a Saturday. And then you get another, you know, 250 or 300 yeah. of these things mapped. And, and again, you know, the next step of this, because it's cool when you do something like that and people could really engage with it. We already have an interactive map. You know, um, you, you can click on it, find it on the site. But you can take it one step further, and this one's really fun and, and hopefully something that when people listen, um, they'll think about how you could possibly use this. You, you can buy these little beacons, and they're these little things you can just set up like the size of a small stone. And you can have an app that you can call it like the Edmonton Tourism app or the Edmonton Heritage app. And when your phone gets within like 15 meters of that device, it will send you a little notification. It'll be like, hey, do you want to know about something that happened here in 1893? Neat. You know, you click it. And so you can do that for, you know, the photos, uh, like historical photos. You can do that for, you know, we, we collected about 300 stories for oral history, which are also mapped. You know, the Edmonton Heritage Council has their uh, Edmonton Maps Heritage, which has hundreds of things. And we have this amazing art tour, uh, yegarttour.ca, which has really gotten a lot of stories about like 60 or so pieces of public art, nice. which are also geocoded. All of these could be kind of wrapped up in this like, experience Edmonton's, you know, glorious history, um, because I think one thing I definitely found is that it it doesn't necessarily tell its story very much. And so a lot of people think there is no history, but it's just hidden. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for bringing it out into the public. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear about some local blogs or podcasts that David recommends. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, a source of curiosity-driven stories about the city powered by the community. And I'm here today with Mel Priestley, who wrote our first Taproot story. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, What's your story about? My story is about deer. It's about a herd of deer that live in the the space off of 23rd Ave and Gateway Boulevard. Um, There's actually an, it's the Edmonton Ethane Extraction Plant land, so it's actually all fenced in. And uh, there's been deer in there for a really long time. And so one of our Taproot members wanted to know what the deal was with the deer, mm-hmm. and you found out. Yeah, yeah, more or less. I think um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people since then about this, and, and um, those deer are very familiar to commuters in the area. Um, anyone I talk to who drives by there on a fairly regular basis says, oh, yeah, those deer, I know those deer. So everyone has seen them, but they're kind of just, I guess, maybe not taken for granted for, but no one really knew what the deal was. I guess they just thought, oh, well, there's deer there. So I dug into it a bit more um, just because it is a bit odd because that area is quite uh, urban now. It didn't used to be. And it was fairly recent that the uh, sort of residential sprawl of the city caught up to that area and kind of just moved around them. And they kind of just stayed. It's this weird little deer island, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to participate in Taproot as a writer? Yeah, as a writer, um, I was really keen to just try a different form of journalism. And so I guess the actual process that I followed for this was very similar to other stories I've written, um, just in terms of how I went about it and things like that. But the the model that Taproot is following is something that really interests me because, I mean, there's a lot of doom and gloom stories in journalism these days, and it seems high time for for someone to try something new. And there are new things, new models that are being explored 
explored in other areas. We haven't really seen that in Edmonton too much, though. So I was very uh, excited that there were some people who were working on sort of um, a possible alternative to the traditional model that we've had for so many years. Excellent. Uh, Thank you for coming to chat with me today. You can read Mel's story at taprootedmonton.ca, and you'll also find information there on how to buy a membership so you can help us pay writers like Mel to answer more questions and put more stories like this into the world. So uh, get your membership and read her excellent story at taprootedmonton.ca. Thanks. Thank you. All right, we're back. So what local blogs or other local independent media do you like, David? So uh, I'm probably going to say what almost everybody says. Uh, uh, Master Mac, you know, is uh, obviously an incredibly prominent and prolific blog um, that, that's really useful. I actually used to be in journalism. Um, I worked for newspapers and TV news stations back in the States. And like right at the time when, you know, the traditional news media was like wondering like, well, like how much do we have to be like the informal blogs that we're competing with? And then also, like, you know, how can we live in this digital space? How can we possibly, you know, maybe manage without, you know, a traditional footprint? And so it, it, it is really exciting, you know, to see in, in the city of Edmonton. I, I think it is really robust. Like, I, again, I know you're very active and I, I keep up with everything that you do on Twitter. Um, and, you know, Mac Mail is also incredibly active. Um, and, and it's just exciting because, you know, we all know, obviously, things are happening in, you know, the Edmonton Journal and all traditional media where the, the presence is getting harder to sustain. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting, you know, I've worked in government for about five years. I transitioned from journalism to government when I said, like, I could do what they're doing. And not necessarily in the city of Edmonton, but, you know, in places like the, the relationship with the media is obviously sometimes challenged. And, and it makes me ca- kind of sad um, you know, like, yeah, well, the media like gets the story wrong. You know, like if you want to know how the story didn't go, go and read a newspaper. Right. Um, and, and that's always, you know, very complicated yeah. um, because that's not true. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they're telling it from their perspective, but they, they don't have to tell it from the city's perspective. And I, I personally know from having doing like three to five stories a day, you know, you can't get every single perspective. You can come back to it. But yeah, then um, another blog, or it's not a blog, but it, it's a you know media that I really appreciate, and it's out of here with the EPL mm-hmm. is uh, Capital City Records. Yeah, I think it's so cool. Um, and uh, Alex Carruthers uh, just they just won a major award of like you know best like innovative multimedia tool developed by a Canadian library, and like the library is on a roll with all sorts of awesome stuff. Yeah. But for me, it's so you know I think they have almost a hundred artists there now, and yeah, I don't like them all, but I don't have to like them yeah. all. Um, but I found some that are really, you know, great. And, and it's another example of, you know, how how do you navigate a changing media landscape where, yeah. like, now maybe you don't have to be uh, on, on a label, you know, per se. You, you can be part of this one that increases your exposure, um, you know, get some credence, and then you can transition that into your, you know, little alt into independent career. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, is a fabulous resource. Um, what advice would you have for someone who wants to do a useful open data project? Well, I would recommend that they come to Beta City Egg. What happens is, you know, we have like two or three presentations that are like five minutes long. And y- the usual meetup is like a three hour long affair. And there's like Pizza 73, you know, in the middle. We, we keep our, you know, things about like an hour and 15 minutes long. And then there's about an hour and 15 minutes of conversation afterward. And that's the time we have everybody introduce themselves and like, hey, I program this way or, hey, I'm interested in this or I'm doing this. 
and then they kind of just connect and meet up. Uh, the presentations are great because they really inspire people like, wow, people in my backyard are doing something so amazing. Um, and then like you either talk with them or you're like, it suddenly starts to feel like if you're not doing something and you have an idea, especially in this like tech world where you can do things for free in a weekend that, that could you know change the landscape and, and really make people's lives better on, on a large scale, uh, you start to feel like you're, you're being left out if, if you don't actually act. And, and that was the thing, you know, you mentioned like, you know, how did I feel about the, the scene when mm-hmm. I got here? I, I love, you know, everybody kind of working in isolation and it's cool. Um, and, and that's a little bit what it felt like there, there was a community of people, but they were a little bit more separated now. Like Beta City, I, I, I hope, has, has kind of brought a lot of people together to realize like if, if you call it all under one banner, like if you call things Beta City, Egg, even though it's still a bunch of disparate people doing what it is that they would have maybe done otherwise anyway. Um, but you call it Beta City Egg, like suddenly like it shows up in the news and it yeah. shows up here and, and you hear about it. You're like, God, like this city is just killing it. Like yeah. what, what, what's, what's happening in Edmonton? What's in the water here? And like, that's what actually a lot of cities around uh, the country and even in the States, um, like I'm presenting you know, just in a couple of weeks at a major international government innovation conference on this nice. because, you know, and, and the only Canadian representative there and it's an international you know conference uh just because of like how do, how do you do you know a hundred thousand dollars worth of work for the price of pizza right that's amazing <laughs> thank you so much for coming and talking to me today thank you so much you can learn more about beta city egg at betacity.ca and you can find other projects that david has been involved in uh, on his profile page on make something edmonton.ca all the links that he, he mentioned and uh, all his recommendations will be in the show notes at seenandheardyeg.com, where you can also subscribe to my newsletter for complete coverage of Edmonton's blogs and podcasts. This recording was made on 100 in One Day through Make Something Edmonton, and you can check out all the projects at 100inoneday.makesomethingedmonton.ca. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.